when we talk about walking with Christ, uh, it shouldn't be kind of a mysterious or bewildering thing. I mean, walking with Christ is not just something we feel or that we privately experience without the ability to identify what has just happened. Do you understand what I'm saying there? It's not, it's not just something that happens privately with you. There's things that are able to be identified as to what happened. To walk with him means something. Um, discipleship is a concrete thing. When it's happening, there are observable components to it. Whatever God is doing, that he starts on the inside of us, works its way out. That's just the way this works. It can be seen and it can be known. This relationship, this walk with Christ, does begin on the inside of a man. There's no doubt about that. Our first passage that I'm going to read to you, I think, explains that or helps to explain it. Colossians 3, 1 through 4 says this, If ye then be risen with Christ, it's talking to those who know him, if ye be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Everything has changed for a man who has faith in Christ. He even said that um, you were dead, but now you're alive. His affections have changed someone who comes to faith in him. His life is altered. What he is now is different from what he was before. To have these affections on things above is to have our minds directed toward them. I mean, toward the things above. And those things above are things related to him. Because, it says in this passage, he is our life. Not just the life that we live here on earth, but the life that we will go on to live in eternity. So everything we think and everything we are should be based upon and directed toward him. If we turn back a chapter in Colossians, we kind of find some more details on this. I'll just read this passage to you. Colossians 2, 6 through 8. As ye therefore have received Jesus Christ the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit. After the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. There's going to be teaching that contributes 
to this walk with Christ. Did you notice that? Establish in the faith as you've been taught. Not worldly philosophies, not worldly traditions, but things which are after Christ, which means they come from above. There's another passage in the New Testament. It might help. 1 John 2, 3 through 6, it says this, And hereby we do know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected, Hereby know we that we are in him. He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also so to walk as he walked. We know the commands that come from him are based in scripture. We know how he walked based on the accounts of him in scripture. So his commands are repeated. And we see and we're able to observe, because of what is told about him in the scripture, we see how he walked. We think on things above by directing our attention to that which came from above, which is his word. Because remember what we've already read about the scriptures, that it came from God, that it was God-breathed. And so our relationship with Christ is strengthened and deepened when our hearts are turned toward things above, toward his word. And our lives are shaped based upon his word. Okay, these are really the two categories of things that I want to talk about tonight. Our hearts being turned toward his word and our lives being shaped by his word. And I want to do that in two Old Testament passages. They're very, very descriptive. Psalm 119.10 says, With my whole heart have I sought thee. Oh, let me not wander from thy commandments. There has been in, in this verse, and there, we'll see it as the passage goes on, but there has been an investment of heart and mind in the scripture, right? With my whole heart, I have sought thee. That's thinking about things that are above. Oh, let me not wander from thy commandments. This investment has been made as a means of seeking after God. It seems that the fear of the one seeking is straying from God's commands. That, that's really the fear that he describes. Oh, let me not wander from thy commandments. He says, here's what I'm afraid is going to happen. I'm going to go to the right hand or to the left hand from your commandments. That could be straying from obedience to his commandments, or it could even be straying from the words themselves, right? So straying from obedience to what God says or straying from the actual words that God says not even paying attention to them or taking account of them. And so there's a, a great investment that is made in what the scripture says. 
Because I have to tell you this, if you stray from the words that God says, you will also stray from obedience to the words that God says. Those things follow one another. So there's a heart's desire that's expressed to seek God. And to do so, there must be a seeking of what God says, what he expresses in his word. For how will we know more of his person without his communication to man? How could we? To be a follower means that first, we have to know where he wants us to go. So this this whole idea of walking with Christ, this seems like an elementary piece of it, but how are you to walk with Christ if you don't know where Christ desires for you to walk and where he is walking? We find in his word where he wants us to go, and we must simply go. And that desire is expressed here, and it should be our desire. But what's more, in verse 11, it says, Thy word have I hid in mine heart, that I might not sin against thee. There seems to also be a desire in this, not just a concern that you might depart from the word, but there's a a desire here to avoid any action that would take us away from God in any way. Because that's what happens for a believer There's an interruption of our fellowship with God, not an interruption of our relationship with God because of sin in the believer's life. Do you understand the difference between an interruption in fellowship and an interruption of relationship? It's when you have a conflict of some sort with someone you know, and it creates some distance between you, and perhaps you may not want to talk to each other on that day again, and And there's no breaking of the relationship. It's not like you broke your friendship. It's that there's a a breakdown in your fellowship. And that's what happens when we sin against God. There's a breakdown in our, our fellowship. And so the heart's desire here is that we not be taken out of fellowship with God. And so he takes what God says and he, and he takes it on board. We often think of it as memorization, and it certainly is that. Because you, you've taken it on board deeply. You know exactly what he says. And you say, uh, and this person says, just as we will often say, we need to know and we need to have it ready so we don't have to have a Bible in our hands. We just have it as part of who we are. So he's hid God's word in his heart because he doesn't want this interruption of fellowship through sin. And so he memorizes, he takes on board scripture because it will change his character, which will lead to obedience. And that obedience is what's going to keep him close to God. There's a desire to please God in it. A heart for him is leading to a study of him. That's what's happening. Here are the results. Verse 12. Blessed art thou, O Lord, teach me thy statutes. This person with a heart for knowing and pleasing God desires teaching from him. 
said, look, um, I'm not going to stray from your word. I'm going to make sure I take it on board because here's what I need. I need for you to teach me. They realize that he's worthy of praise and honor. So they ask for more knowledge of him and they look to his statutes. And they're desiring for something to happen in them based on what he is teaching them. And they repeat them as well, his words. So they say, blessed is the Lord, teach me thy statutes. Then in verse 13, it says, with my lips have I declared all the judgments of thy mouth. Another translation reads this way. I will repeat the laws that we heard from you. There's a lot of things that have happened already, just in these few verses. There's been this desire to stay close to God's word, to not stray from it in any way, to take it on board and to memorize it, and and to just say to God, teach me, Lord. I'm going to stay close to your word. I'm not going to sin. I'm not going to turn to the right hand nor to the left. You're going to need to teach me. That's what I want to be the result of this. And then what I'm also going to do is I'm going to repeat it. I'm going to say it again, and I'm going to repeat it to others. His words, by the way, are worthy of repetition. It's why when we come back here, you'll notice that we repeat a lot of ideas, particularly, and sometimes a lot of passages of Scripture over and over. Hey, they're worthy of that repetition because of their great value and their great usefulness to us. And also because they have a certain level of impact for the person repeating it and for the person hearing the repetition of it. And they are repeated for us throughout the scriptures. There's going to be a time here where I'm going to show you where there's a passage that we read from from the Old Testament and then there's a repetition of it by Jesus in the New Testament. And so he does it as well. So they're repeated for us, but they're also repeated for others. But there's something more. In verse 14, I have rejoiced in the way of thy testimonies as much as in all riches. Obedience to his words have been a cause in this person, for rejoicing, and actually a great deal of rejoicing. As much as others who are not seeking in God may rejoice in riches. This could be kind of a startling thought. Have you ever seen someone who has just won the lottery or won a big prize? I think of like a, a game show when, when just... You know, it's $10,000, and that seems like a lot of money, but it's not crazy amounts of money. And everyone will be dancing up and down on stage, and they'll be playing music. Confetti will fall, and there's rejoicing in riches. And he says, I have rejoiced in the way of thy testimonies as much as in all riches. There's a strict adherence to scriptural principles and to scriptural commands and that adherence brings happiness. 
I mean, for those who are sincerely focused on pleasing him, their desires have become God's desires for themselves. We can rejoice. We can radiate happiness. That's real. And then he commits once again in verse 15. I will meditate in thy precepts. He's rejoicing because of all this that has happened. And then he says, I will meditate in thy precepts. And I will have respect unto thy ways. The scriptures will be this person's meditation. His eyes will be fixed on what God says. And he'll hold what God says in high regard. Enough to study them carefully and study them often and study them seriously. In fact, in verse 16, it says, I will delight myself in thy statutes. Seems to be a lot of progression in this as to what's happening. I will not forget thy word. Going to have rejoicing in what you said. I'm going to take it on board. I'm going to study it carefully and seriously and often, and I'm going to delight myself in what you said. A person who delights in something has a hard time forgetting. You know, this is true. There's been something that's exciting or that's, that's wonderful that's happened to you. You remember it. You do. When you're delighting, you remember because your heart has been turned to that thing. And this person's heart has been turned to the word of God. He has an appetite for it, and he returns to it regularly because the, the, the times when he does, he continues to delight in it. That's what's happening here. And there's another request in verse 17 of Psalm 119. Deal bountifully with thy servant that I may live and keep thy word. Life and health and good are requested. Not so the one requesting can live for self. Clearly, that's not been the case so far. Not so they can consume it more for their own enjoyment, although they are having some enjoyment, more than any amount of riches. But so they remain faithful and would continue in obedience to God. A man's heart that is like this has been turned to his precepts and he lives for these precepts and he wishes to continue that living for God's precepts to glorify his God and to turn others to him. Now, we talked a little bit about this last week when our desires become God's desires for us, then we have our desires. It's just the way things work. And so there's not selfishness in this, but ultimately the person who does this receives bountifully from the Lord. Verse 18, open thou mine eyes. It's another request. Then I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. No matter how long a person has followed God, studied his word and lived according to his word, He remains hopeful that scripture will reveal yet more wondrous things. 
because there's going to be no exhausting God's word. But our eyes, because they're just eyes of flesh and we live in bodies of flesh, can sometimes be partially closed to it. I'm not saying that that may not happen. But we're not going to exhaust it in reading it. And so here's what happens in this passage, and no doubt there's a model for us. We should beg God to open our eyes when they are failing, when they are partially closed to whatever he has to say. Ask God to make us capable of seeing something else that is wonderful from his scripture and about his person and about his work. Our lives really should be devoted to this. God's people should always be known by this. One of the key passages in the history of Israel makes this clear. It's going to be the second part tonight. Deuteronomy 6, 4. That's our second text of the night. Remember, we're talking about the heart being turned towards God's word. And then we're going to talk about our lives being consumed with it as well. And here's what it says first, and then we're going to look at God's word. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. There's only one true God. It's Jehovah. And therefore, we're not to survey and select from the world's wisdom, but the one true God has spoken. And he's spoken through his word, and he's spoken by his son. And those who know his son follow his word, by the way. It's the text, this text of scripture, by which we judge all the world's wisdom. It's the lens through which we view whatever is in the world that proclaims itself to be wisdom, or at least is information in our lives. That's what we're going to see as we go on. Verse 5 of Deuteronomy 6. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. This is a really familiar phrase that comes in Deuteronomy 6. Really important one as well. This verse 2. Jesus quoted this text. He was asked this question. Which is the great commandment in the law? And he answered, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. It's a starting point for this life. Our topic, remember, is study for this life of study. We must be a disciple of Christ, one who loves God with everything. From the very center of our being, from who we are, and based upon what we think. And then we have to go about exploring and then expressing his word to others. This is what totally committed followers of him do. Because think about this for a moment. Believers are not simply people of a common creed. You understand what I'm saying there? Said a moment ago, 
The Lord thy God is one Lord. We're not simply people who are all reading off the same sheet of music. I could give you a couple of examples for, for that. Um, Paul had to explain himself in Galatians when he was saying to the Galatian believers that the thing he was saying was not from him personally and just something that he was, because he was an apostle, had the authority to, to say and to get them on board with. He said, what I'm saying to you came directly from God. So we have in this passage, the Lord is one Lord. This is the one true God. And we're to love him, just him, with everything we are. And so when we're talking about the study of Scripture and the reading of Scripture and the coming to know Scripture, we're not just saying, well, uh, that's what we all believe here. And it'll be a lot easier if we're all reading from the same sheet of music and we can all agree on some guidelines. That's not what we're talking about. We're one family. We have one father. And we're living according to this truth that he gave us. The one true God. Because when we do, he sets us apart to do his work. He sets us apart for him. Because this service that we will do for him is actually our life's mission. And so like us, Israel was commanded to hear and to obey. This is the next verse, Deuteronomy 6.6. 6. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. Now this is referring to uh, the, the whole discourse that Moses is giving here. I mean, Really, you could apply it to everything that he is passing along to Israel from God. And it was to be more than just a guidebook for them. More than just a series of things that they were all to buy into in order to make the nation work. It was to be remembered. It was to be hidden in their heart. It's the same idea that we got from Psalm 119 as well. They were going to be more than simple words on a page. They were going to become their words to live by for all of God's people through all of time. And whatever he said, whatever his dictates were, were going to be their way of life. And they would be a blessing to them, just as we're talking about it being a blessing to us. They were told, as we're often told, that to follow is to have joy. I've already read that tonight. And so the next part of the context comes as no great surprise. Verse 7 of Deuteronomy 6. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. And listen to this and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. Hey, there is a one true God. There's a bunch of other gods that are proclaimed in the world. There are a bunch of other gods that are talked about. 
Paul actually says in the New Testament, they are nothing in this world. They're many times just a figment of imagination. But this text says, look, there's one true God. And he has passed some things down here from Moses to Israel. And there's been words passed down to us. Thankfully, we have them in our hands. And he says, you're not just going to be uh, buying into them for some for the reason of just making things better, but because they come direct from God and they're going to be your way of life. You're going to teach them diligently to your children. When you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you go home and lie down, whatever you do, if you rise up, you're going to talk of them. Such life-giving, joy-inducing, wisdom-providing words ought to be taught because of who they come from. And the home is the logical place to begin, isn't it? It's the logical place to begin. Our children need to know. Our families need a foundation. Commitment to the one true God and adherence to the words that he has given us must be our foundation. His words must be spoken over and over because I have to tell you, we are all forgetful. Life is filled with distraction, but it's also filled with dissent. And our children need this text, this text of God's word, to be an ever-present part of their upbringing. They're going to need that. This is not going to happen without some depth of understanding on the part of those who are teaching it. We won't know how to talk about what he said unless we're clear on what it means. Is that not true? Have you ever, I don't know if you've ever done this. I have, unfortunately. I used to work in education. And, um, and I've walked in a room before with a professor or a teacher up front. And within a few seconds, unfortunately, I've also done this in a church. My wife and I have, I have a good story about that that I'm not going to share, but maybe later if you want to hear. Um, but you've walked in and you've discovered within just a couple of minutes that the person does not know what they are talking about. I mean, they really don't know what they're talking about. And you think to yourself, they are saying lots and lots of words. There are words, 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 words. But they don't know what they're talking about. I don't, I don't know if you've done this. I have done this. This is unfortunate. Hopefully this doesn't happen around here. But I've done it. Folks, if you're going to teach something diligently to someone, be clear on what it means. Have some depth of understanding. Hey, now, don't, don't uh, be misguided here. I'm not saying you have to be a uh, Bible college and seminary graduate to talk to anybody about God. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying whatever resources you've got, put those resources into finding out everything you can. And God will use whatever you've got. But, uh, but you've got to put something into it. Because questions are going to be asked. You know, if you're doing what it says here, 
You're teaching these things to your children. You're talking about it. When you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down or when you rise up, you're doing it in your house and in your community. There's going to be some questions that are going to be asked. There's no doubt. Maybe there's just going to be a challenge that's thrown out. Sometimes that's the way it works. You'll need to know how the answers can be found. Did you notice what I just said there? I didn't say you need to know all the answers. I said you need to know how the answers can be found. It's a completely different thing. The answers are not going to be ours. They're going to be his. Make sure you remember that. Have an honest heart and careful attention to find the answers and to help others find the answers. There's going to be many ways to go about all this. Verses 8 and 9 of Deuteronomy 6. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand. Thou shalt be as frontlets between thine eyes. And thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house and on thy gates. We need to find ways to remind ourselves. We need to speak about scripture. We need to make scripture a part of our decor and even our wardrobe. It says here, I don't know which way you're going to do it. But whatever way we can remind ourselves, we need to be looking for ways. We have to find ways to remind ourselves and to remind others and to promote these words that the one true God has given to us. We have to teach it. We have to live it. We have to make our lives a life of study. Now, I'll say this to you. Society is going to find this full immersion in God's word unusual at best. Okay? Perhaps they're going to find it bad, really bad. Not just unusual. Perhaps people are going to mock your full immersion in God's word. And when you respond with an answer from the scriptures, they might disdain what you say and mock what you say. I have to tell you that governments and kings and queens throughout history and even today make laws against repeating what God says. That's not going to stop. That's going to continue. It already continues today. And they might impose fines and they might impose jail time or worse. There's much precedence for this. But it must not alarm us. Israel was told here, the one true God has spoken. And we can do no less than listen and repeat. And when we do this, this will give us joy. It'll give us more than joy. It'll give us education. It's going to strengthen our families. It's going to make us ready to live for Christ. But I have to tell you this. If the opposition comes, if there's fines imposed, if there's jail time imposed, if there's something worse imposed, God will equip you to be ready to live for him. 
but he would also equip you to be ready to die in his service. We're talking about something here that starts in the heart. You're a believer in Christ and you want to have this, what everybody talks about, this relationship with Christ. But I'm telling you, there's some concrete things that go along with that. And it's a heart that's turned toward what he said and really turned toward it in our affections. And it's also a life that's really immersed in what God says. And I know that's going to make it strange for you living in the world, but we are strangers and pilgrims on this earth. And this is how study of the word of God relates to our walk with Christ. Because there's this heart that's involved and there's this whole life commitment that every believer should have to knowing, to understanding, to repeating, to ministering to others God's word. Let's pray. Father, thank you tonight for our opportunity to look into these passages. These are passages you've used so often in the history of Israel, so often in the history of the church to encourage, to remind us that there's great rejoicing in knowing and obeying your word. There's great happiness in it. But it's not the selfish kind. It's not the kind where we, uh, we are trying to consume something for ourselves. Something a lot deeper than that. Something that's eternal. Remind us of that. Remind us to use every method we can to remind ourselves what your word says to make it a part of our whole lives and turn our hearts to what you say so that we are able to walk with you in this relationship and for it to be something really concrete that we can see and that others people can see and that we can describe to people because that's what you desire for us. Thank you for all that you've taught us even tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.